Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from three different books, from Isaiah 9, 6-7a, Luke 2, 8-14, and Romans 4, 25-5-2. So I'll start with Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Luke 2, 8-14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And Romans 4, 25 through 5, 2. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. These are the words of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marilyn. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, would you, uh, would you still our, our hearts and minds? Would you help distractions around us and within us to fade and help us to focus on your word and to listen to you speaking to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all know the story of how there was no room in the inn in Bethlehem on the night Jesus was born, but today it's exactly the opposite. The, all of the hotels in Bethlehem are almost vacant, and the reason for that is the war. So I want to read to you a uh, part of an article from December 11th which says this. Bethlehem is normally at its busiest at Christmas, but this year, war has scared away tourists and pilgrims from the Palestinian town in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, leaving hotels, restaurants, and souvenir shops deserted. With global headlines dominated since October 7th by the news of the Hamas attacks in southern Israel, followed by Israel's military assault on Gaza, and a rise in violence in the West Bank, business owners in Bethlehem said no one was coming. We have no guests, not one, said Joey Canavati, owner of the Alexander Hotel, whose family has lived and worked in Bethlehem for four generations. This is the worst Christmas ever, he said. Bethlehem is shut down. No Christmas tree, no joy, no Christmas spirit. There's no peace in Bethlehem today. 
A few minutes ago, we heard the reading from Luke 2 where the angels break in and tell the shepherds uh, that they sing um, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. You heard the reading from Isaiah that says Jesus will be and is the prince of peace and that his peace and government will never end. And we sing in the Christmas carols, peace on earth and mercy mild, right? I think it's fair for us to ask today, is it really true that Jesus brought peace on earth? And if so, how? Because it doesn't seem like it sometimes. When you look around at the world, at the conflicts raging, and even in your personal lives at, at conflicts that are going on, how, where is this peace that Jesus was supposed to have brought? Another man was asking that same question on Christmas Day, 1863. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, uh, who was a poet, and he was in a very dark place in life. He'd been through two years of personal hell, beginning with um, a fire in, which, in their home in which his wife's dress caught on fire, and uh, she died from the burns that she suffered, and he himself was so badly burned that he could not attend her funeral. Uh, his face was permanently scarred. A year later, his oldest son ran away to join the Union Army. The Civil War was happening, and so his son was in, was in the war, and, and his whole country was torn apart by civil war. And, and the, the death toll was rising and mounting, and the, the battles were raging. Well, a year later, in 1863, he gets a telegram or a message that his son was critically injured and may not survive, and if he did, may be permanently paralyzed. So Longfellow goes to Washington, D.C. to visit his son in the hospital, um, and he was not feeling in the Christmas spirit, right? He decided to write a poem to try to cheer himself up and remember what Christmas was all about, and he started with these lines, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Have you heard that song? poem was made into a Christmas carol. He wrote a few more stanzas, but then he realized, I, I don't believe this right now. And his true feelings came out, and he wrote, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Can you relate to that? Doesn't it feel sometimes that peace on earth is just a nice idea and there's so much hate and so much conflict and strife, it's just mocking us saying, ha, Jesus didn't bring peace. I don't know what that looks like in your life. Maybe you've been through a painful breakup or a divorce. Maybe, um, maybe you're, there's drama in your friend group that's tearing you apart. Maybe you, you manage people and your employees or, or reports are squabbling and bickering and, and backbiting, and you have to deal with that. Um, maybe you're feeling dismayed at the, the division and conflict in our politics. 
Or maybe you have people coming over tomorrow who don't get along with each other. And you're wondering, what am I going to do? Right? So we're allowed to ask the question, where is this peace that Jesus came to bring? And that's the question I want to tackle this morning because the peace of Christ has come and is coming into this world and will come into this world. We just need to recognize it. The Bible shows us that the Prince of Peace does his work in three ever-enlarging domains or realms. And I want to go through those three realms with you today. So the first one, and the most fundamental, is that Jesus brings peace with God. Peace between us and God. All of the conflict in the world, all of the conflict you've ever faced in life comes, stems from the common problem of sin. Because people are sinful and want their will to be done. Um, they disobey God. They harm each other. That, that's where conflict comes from. And that's the main problem Jesus came to solve. The, our, our, our lack of peace, our hostility toward God. And if we don't get that, then nothing else will make sense in, in the gospel message. In, G- in Genesis, you open the Bible and see God creates a perfect world. There's perfect peace. And then what happens? People, Adam and Eve, decide to rebel and be their own gods. And the fallout is immediate uh, uh, hostility between God and people, between Adam and Eve themselves. And then they start having kids who start killing each other, Cain and Abel. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Every human heart, unless Jesus enters it, is at war with God. You say, that sounds pretty harsh, but that's what the Bible says, and that's what we see in life. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 8, 7, that the mind, so the human control center, the mind, governed by the sinful nature, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So we don't want God to be God. And we're his enemy. Sorry, he's our enemy, and we don't like him. He's a threat to us. That's what the human heart is like apart from Jesus. The atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel uh, remarks this. He says, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Why would he say that? Because if there's a God, then uh, that, some things in our life needs to change, right? Need to change. But here's the good news. Jesus brings peace with God. Jesus, that, that was his main mission, to come and solve the deepest problem of the human heart, which was this enmity, this hostility toward God. Even the angels announced this to the shepherds. They said, today in the town of David, a 
Savior has been born to you. We need saving from sin. And that's what Jesus did. Paul writes in Romans 4, 25-5-1 that He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we are made right. We're forgiven by the sheer grace and gift of God of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate white flag raised that says, come out, lay down your arms. The, I have terms of peace. That is the offer of the gospel to us all. You can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Remember the song, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild. What's the next line? God and sinners reconciled, brought together. Peace. If you don't have that, you won't have any of the other types of peace that Jesus came to bring. So, time for a gut check. Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? It's as simple as saying, Lord, I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I accept your terms of peace. I'm going to lay down my pride. I'm going to trust in Jesus and turn from my sin and trust him to save me and change my heart. And boom, you're at peace with God. But what happens, here's step two or, or, or the second realm, what happens when a person is at peace with God? Then that when the Prince of Peace is now your friend and actually living in you through the Holy Spirit, now you become a peacemaker. You go out and you start to act different. Um, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Meaning they'll take after God, because God is a peacemaker, and so, so are Christians. So for example... Instead of digging in and never admitting fault, a Christian filled with the spirit of the Prince of Peace is uh, the first person to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Instead of holding a grudge, they're quick to say, I forgive you. Instead of assuming the worst of people, we're quick to give grace to others. Instead of seeking our own way, we're quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You say, yeah, I know a lot of Christians that don't do that, and I don't do that perfectly either, but it's a process. We're learning. The Spirit is working in us to do these things. And Christians also have a peacemaking role between people, right? So when you show up, when you're a, a manager or a boss and you have employees who are fighting, you make space for them to reconcile if possible. If you're a, a student, instead of getting sucked into the drama, you, you love people on both sides and say, hey, I want you to be friends. You can have peace. Someone in our church told me the other day that she's inviting family members for Christmas dinner who don't all get along. Right? She's being a peacemaker or attempting to be a peacemaker. It also looks like the Christian who refuses to hate or demonize someone who votes different than you or has a different worldview than you because we're peacemakers. 
Wherever Jesus is actively saving and changing people, um, which means wherever the church exists, there will be peace that is unexplainable by anything else than Jesus. Do we have eyes to see that? I think one of the, the greatest proofs of the, the, the veracity of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is that people who are enemies naturally come together in Christ. So in the West Bank, there are churches where Arab-Palestinian Christians and Israeli Christians worship together as brothers in Christ. When I visited Croatia this summer, we met a pastor named uh, Vlado. Actually, was that his name? I forget. We met a pastor, a Croatian pastor. I'm getting him confused with someone else. And, oh man, he told us stories of how God worked in powerful ways during the, the civil war in Croatia. But one of the most amazing things is that now there are Croatian and Serbian Christians worshiping in the same church who one generation ago were literally killing each other. How do you explain that other than, other than the Prince of Peace doing his work in people's lives? This is real. But there are limits to the peace that can come here and now, right? Paul tells us in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. So, okay, live at peace with everyone. There's some things that depend on me, but sometimes it's not possible. You see, we also need to set our hopes on the peace that will come, that is promised when Jesus returns and finishes the work he started. So stage three, Jesus brings peace over all. So the first domain is in our hearts with God. The second is as the, the church, as Christians become peacemakers in the world. And the third is the future peace over all the world. In Isaiah 9-7, the prophet makes this promise about Jesus. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. How does Jesus' government increase? Well, every day around the world, people give their lives to Jesus. And his spirit enters their hearts. And they become peacemakers and they follow him. And his kingdom, his government increases and spreads. And this has been happening since the resurrection of Jesus and will happen since uh, until he returns of the increase of his government there will be no end on Christmas day back to Henry Wadsworth Longfellow uh, he was able to remember this and believe it even though he didn't feel it so he wrote in despair I bowed my head there is no peace on earth I said for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then he chose to believe what the Bible says and wrote the last verse. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep 
God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. See, even when it doesn't feel like this will happen, we have to believe that it will, that Jesus is coming back, that, that the right shall prevail and the wrong shall fail. Jesus will bring perfect harmony to the world. Evil will be eradicated. The creation itself will be made new and restored. Do you believe that? The peace of Christ will come, is coming, and has come for those who trust him. And so you've sung the song, Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Starts with what God does in us, peace with God. It fans out into the world through people who make peace with others. And eventually Jesus will finish the job. Let me share a story that hopefully ties these threads together as we close. <clears throat> in 1962, a young missionary named Don Richardson and his wife uh, took, his, took their three kids to a remote tribe in Indonesia. It was so remote that the, the last leg of the journey was a 10-hour canoe trip. So they were way out there. Uh, and they moved there to share the gospel with the Sawi people, S-A-W-I, of Indonesia. Because they had never uh, heard about Jesus. They didn't have the scriptures. It was, everything was totally, they were totally unreached, as, as it said. And so for a few years, they labored to learn the language. Uh, this language did not have a written alphabet or system, so they, they, they devised an alphabet and a, uh, you know, a written language from what they heard. Um, and they worked hard. Now, the Sawi were uh, warlike uh, fierce warriors, they were even uh, cannibals with their enemies, so this was like no joke. These, these people were, um, uh, were not at peace, okay? Um, and as they're translating the Bible and trying to share Jesus with this tribe, the tribe is at war all the time with neighboring tribes, and there's arrows flying by the house and like people dying outside their front door. And they're like, Don's like, I'm not sure how long we can stay here. I'm not sure this is safe for our family. So he begged the tribal elders to make peace with the neighboring tribe. And because they loved Don so much and his family, they said, okay. And one of the tribal elders took his newborn son and gave it to the enemy tribe and said, this is a peace child. As long as he lives, there will be peace between us. And meanwhile, Don had been having a really hard time communicating the gospel to these, to these Sawi people because they valued, they actually saw Judas as the hero of the gospel story. They valued treachery and deceit and strength. But when he saw that peace child, he said, now I know how to share the gospel with the Sawi people. And he said, Jesus 
is the peace child that God offered to our world. Except when God did it, he said, this peace child will die to pay for your sins. But it's God's offer of peace. Jesus is God's offer of peace to a world that is at war with God. The Sawi tribe understood it then, and they, many of them, joyfully received Jesus. And 50 years later, guess what's happened? Not only are they still following the Lord, but they have shared the gospel with all their former enemies, and many of them are now following the Lord Jesus and are at peace with one another. That is how the peace of Christ works. The baby in the manger is our peace child. So do you accept him and will you walk in his ways of peace? Amen.